Welcome to the BTC podcast presented by Ball Things Considered. I my name is Nick Demento and I am joined today by Sean Bush. How are we doing, Sean? I'm doing good, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. Just watching basketball every day. There's nothing nothing better after all of the lockdown just woes of and withdrawals from basketball basically. We're all addicts at the end of the day. Exactly. Can't complain, man. Can't complain. So what we're here to do today is to give a funeral, a goodbye, our eulogy for the teams that lost in the Western Conference first round. They had a good life in the 2019-2020 season with a lot of ups and downs and a little break in the middle of their life. But at the end of the day, only one team remains at the end of the season. So we have four teams today that had to go. So we're just going to go through them all, talk about their causes of death, you know, look back on their <laughs> season, and really what we hope to see and what we think we're going to see from them moving forward. Because I guess if this is a funeral pod, that means that I guess in basketball we believe in reincarnation because they'll be <laughs> back next season. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I guess that's the the best way to put it, and I hope the Mavs are reincarnated into a beautiful, perfect basketball team. Absolutely. So, to start off, uh, we're going to go with our 8th seed, Portland. Now, when I look at the cause of death, basically what caused them to lose in the playoffs was the same thing that caused them to be the 8th seed in the first place, and that's just, they had horrific injury luck this year. You know, they lost Rodney Hood, Zach Collins at the beginning of the season. And I'm a big believer that without any of those injuries, this was going to be a top four team in the West. Now, I'm not saying they would have had a chance to beat the Lakers if they were all healthy. You know, even if Dame stays the full series, because I do believe the Lakers were just the better team. But, you know, this season does kind of come with an asterisk. In that they may have been the eight seed, may have lost in the first round, but there's a lot of promising things that you can rest your hat on. What do you think, John? Yeah, definitely. Um, and like you said, with the injury stuff, you know, um, they had Portland had 12 of their 19 players only um, appear in less than 50 games. Uh, so I completely agree with you there. Yeah, uh, really banged up. Uh, and a lot of really key players like a Nurkic, like a like a Zach Collins, um, you know Trevor Reza they brought in, um, so it's going to be pretty tough. Um, but uh, yeah, I I think health was their uh, their big, the biggest cause for their downfall, and that does definitely bode well for them, you know, going future because I think uh, at least you'd hope they will get healthy and kind of bounce back. Um, the only tough part is going to be. Uh, you know, the the West is a beast, and somehow it's only getting tougher. It feels like every year the West is tougher than it was the year before, and I don't know how that's possible, but it, it just seems to go that way. Um, so uh, we'll see where they go, but they they really need to uh, get healthy and, and maybe make a couple moves around the margin to, to kind of take them into that next tier because you've got some of these young teams – um, that are looking to kind of vault past them, like a Dallas or a Memphis or a Phoenix um, or any team like that in the West. Absolutely. And 
I think one thing a lot of people may not know about Portland is that was actually the highest payroll in the NBA. So even though you're losing this gigantic contract that's just a dud, in my opinion, with Hassan Whiteside and some other things, there's not really going to have the cap space to move around a ton. You do still have a lot of guys signed. You still have, obviously, Damon, CJ, Ariza, Nurkic. Kind of their core guys. But there isn't a lot of flexibility to move around. And one guy I want to ask you about is... Is it essential that Portland brings back Carmelo Anthony? Because I think we really saw a resurgence with him this year. And not only a resurgence, but kind of a reforming with Melo. Because I think when we saw him with OKC and Houston after he left the Knicks, he was very uncomfortable taking a back role, or a step back, I guess, from being what he was in New York as the number one star. But I feel like with Portland, he really bought into, okay, I can play this role, I can hit threes from the corner, I can contribute to this team while not being the go-to guy. So... Is it essential for Portland to bring back Carmelo Anthony? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I I don't know if I'd necessarily say it's essential. I mean, he's... Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, he had a much better role with Portland this year, especially with the injuries. He filled in like very admirably. Um, and I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's the first year he's been... A, a positive asset to a team in, in years um, going back to his Knicks days, um, pr- the pre OKC trade. Um, but, uh, you know, he is 36. Uh, he, he's getting up there. He's not the greatest defender. Um, but why I think in a way it almost is essential to bring him back is I don't think because he is 36, I don't think he's going to command huge money um and i think that he uh looks at portland at least i would think that he looks at portland as this team you know here's this team that gave me a shot and it seems like amazing locker room to play in just with dame and cj leading the way it seems like all those guys love each other they're very close and um have a very tight relationship uh so i almost think it is essential to bring him back because i think you could probably bring him back for you know, vet men again, or maybe like three or four mil. Um, and I think he's a very valuable veteran to that locker room. And, and like you said, I, he made a really big impact for that team this year. Absolutely. And one thing I did love when Melo came back is, you know, every player on Twitter, social media shouting out like, oh, I thought y'all couldn't play, you know, that he couldn't play anymore. Especially, I think LeBron literally tweeted that. Like, I thought y'all said he couldn't play. <laughs> well, why the hell did you not sign him, LeBron? You run yeah. the Lakers. You could have signed him for six months. I that That's what I loved, is all these players being like, y'all got layoff Melo. Like, he's better than tons of players in the league. And it would be all these stars, and it would be like, well, it doesn't seem like any of y'all are going to bat, you know. Like you said, LeBron, like... I know Durant wasn't playing or Kyrie most of the year, but it's like, you guys run the Nets, like you said, with LeBron. It's like, if you really want to see your buddy Melo get a job, your buddy could get him, your buddy Melo could get a job in a second. You just mm-hmm. say the word, you know. It's not like, like you said, LeBron, it's like, 
uh, I know this wasn't until right before the bubble and Melo was signed before that, but it's like y'all are signing J.R. Smith anyway. It's not like you're bringing in these amazing options over Melo. Um, so I, I agree with you. I thought it was pretty funny how all these players were just ripping into you know into these teams as if like, oh, why wouldn't you sign Melo? And then clearly none of them were going to bat for him in their own team. Sure. And another guy, uh, to move on from Mello, that I think has, at least should have a promising future with Portland, is Anthony Simons. This is a guy that before the season, people were talking like, this guy's untouchable in trades. Portland's not moving off this guy. This is going to be their next great player. But I never really saw that from him this season. Now, I don't know if they're seeing this four or five years down the line, but I am looking forward to his ball handling, his shooting, what he can be, and possibly have a larger role with that team next year, possibly as a six-man you know, guard off the bench. Uh, so what do you think of Simons? Yeah, uh, it's interesting you bring him up because, uh, and I don't, I don't want to write the guy off because uh, he clearly has... Um, some definite talent. He's very young. He's only 21 years old. Um, and he's in a good situation where uh, he's not going to have a lot of pressure to play right away with Dame and CJ, but they also don't have any clear backup guards. Um, so he will has a role, you know, that he can play that's, that's low pressure. Um, but to me, with Simons, what he reminds me of is I feel like every franchise – every three or four years gets a player that's a young guy that that's really kind of raw but has a lot of potential that's like clear in some ways and they really fall in love with them and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't but uh a lot of times it doesn't uh and that's kind of what i'm seeing with simons where i i think back you know i'm a mass fan i think back to when we had roddy Bobois. And he was, he was untouchable for all these years, you know. And uh, there was talks about a Steve Nash trade before he got traded to the Lakers and all these other guys. And we were like, well, when Roddy Bobois is 26, what's he going to be? And then he was 26 and he was playing in EuroLeague. Um, so you never know what these guys. And like I said, I don't want to, that's not fair to Simons. I don't want to write him off and say he's not going to reach his potential. Um, but... Uh, I think that was a pretty good spot you performed. I think he could be a very good six man. I'm not sure I ever see like like good starter potential from him, uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Like I said, he's young, uh, but he'll be very interesting guy to watch because him and like Zach Collins is another one that's that's young on their team, um, and Nasir Little. Those kind of guys are going to be the guys they're going to need to push them to this next tier because otherwise they're going to be in a lot of danger of getting caught in the middle. Um, and with Dame at 30 and CJ at 28, they don't have a ton of time to mess around and get caught as a middling team. For sure. And as a final point on Portland, I guess this team's ceiling and its floor is defined by Damian Lillard, for sure. I mean... Absolutely. I have always... Damian Lillard was my dark horse pick for MVP this year just because he is one of these guys that just makes your jaw drop. 
he has everything in his bag now, whether it's the ball handling, getting to the rim, shooting from the freaking logo whenever he wants, and it's a good shot. There just aren't... Like, I'm ready for the conversation of, is Damian Lillard the best point guard in this league? Like, I feel like he's... I still lean Steph, but I'm ready for the argument that Dame's getting close, and he's getting better every year, but because he hasn't really been on these championship contender teams, he's kind of just fallen by the wayside in that argument, and I really feel like he needs to be talked about in that tier. I definitely agree with you, um, and I'm actually very, very excited for next season because... It's going to be really interesting. I, I like that you brought up Steph because the Warriors are going to be a little bit more back to normal. They're still going to be a very dominant team, but you lose Durant, and obviously that changes a lot of things. So we're going to kind of get to see – we're going to get the full Steph Curry experience again. Um, and we've been getting the full Dame experience for years now. Uh, and I think we'll finally get a more realistic head-to-head again where – it was kind of hard to grade Steph with KD because you don't know how it's affecting his numbers. You don't know if it's making him look worse. You don't know if it's if it's deflating his numbers and making him, you know, um, or if it's making him look better because he has all this talent around him. Uh, so that'll be very interesting for me to watch because I agree with you. It's, it's getting close, and, and Dame's slightly younger, so it might be easier for him to close the gap, especially with uh, the number of injuries Steph has had over his year, um, over his career. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, Portland is going to go as far as Dame can carry them. And he maybe doesn't have the, the roster right now to get him all the way to a championship. But sometimes these guys will just... Dame is totally capable of having a playoffs. Um, and we've seen in the past where he just gets hot and it doesn't matter. Um so they're going to be a very interesting team to watch going forward, and uh, they're going to be a team that, uh, like I said, is kind of in the middle, I think, and could go a lot of different, um, a different way, different ways over the next few years. And in three years, we could be looking at a completely different Portland team, or we could be looking at somewhat of the same thing that's you know gotten the conference, conference finals a couple times and is, is kind of right on the precipice of you know breaking through. Absolutely. And so now I want to move on to another guy that should be in this top tier conversation. So we're going to move on to our seven seed Dallas Mavericks. And more importantly, Luka Doncic. Because when I look at Luka and what I saw from him in that Clippers series, it wasn't just a coming out party. It was a lot more than that because... When I'm looking at Hall of Famers, top 20, top 10 guys of all time in this league, they all have these moments early on in their careers where the moment doesn't get to them, they completely take control. And kind of, t- it's them telling the world, I'm here, you're going to have to mess with me, and I'm going to be a problem for a long time. For Jordan, it was when he scored 63 against the Celtics. LeBron, in his second postseason, scores the last 25 points 
against the Pistons in a critical game five. That Luka shot in game four, I really think puts him on that trajectory that we need to be thinking about Luka as potentially being a Mount Rushmore guy. I mean, that may be a, a huge over-exaggeration and overreaction, but that's really what I see from him. Is This is second year and he's doing this. Just stuff that we could not have imagined. I mean, the guy finished third and most improved player of the year after being rookie of the year. It's like, how much more can you improve? But the guy's so young, he's so skilled, he has such a high basketball IQ that he can really only go up. And since you're the resident Mavs fan, I'll let you go on a little bit more, but I mean, I'm absolutely in love with Luca. Like, whew. Oh, yeah. Um, you're definitely going to have to uh, cut me off on time on this segment because I could, <laughs> of course, go forever. But, yeah, I mean, you got to start with Luca. You have to start with Luca. It's what he did this season, even before the playoffs, was incredible um, right there for, you know, the best statistical season from someone his age in the history of the league. And Luca's in this weird spot because he's kind of, He's kind of overrated and he's kind of underrated at the same time because, in one sense, uh, the media can't get enough of him. They're covering him like crazy. Why wouldn't you? He's this young superstar. And I think people get tired of hearing about him sometimes. Um, but at the same token, like you said, you look at his playoffs and I don't think people are realizing you know, what he did was obviously incredible, but the the context of how he did it is even more amazing where you're playing this team, the Clippers where uh, for months, Mavs fans, Mavs writers were basically saying uh, the Mavs could beat anyone in the first round. Like as long as they don't get the Clippers, like that's the nightmare matchup. They were basically a team designed to stop a Luka Doncic. So they got mm-hmm. all these, all these defenders they can throw at them. They can be physical. They can be, you know, um, you've got Kawhi, you've got Paul George, you've got Pat Bev. And so you have that. You have Kristaps getting hurt, and he's out. You have Luka uh, getting hurt the game before, and he's playing on a bum ankle. And to have all those factors going against you and to to put up that performance he did in game four, um, it's incredible. And it shows that it, I think it accelerates Dallas's um, – development on their on their curve and it, it just shows that Luca might be one of these guys like LeBron already where there may just be no stopping him it may just be you hope you can slow him down in the playoffs you definitely gonna need some guys to throw at him but it's a matter of letting him get 30 10 and 10 as opposed to 40 10 and 10 um and that's huge um if if Obviously, obviously, it's just one playoff series, and you don't want to overreact. But if Luca can consistently do that in the playoffs going forward, then um, Dallas may not need as many uh, more additions to their team to uh, to contend for titles as I think a lot of people, including myself, thought they would going into this season. Absolutely, and I will say this: while the game four was the big stack game and the big shot game. I was just as impressed by 
him in game three because he hurts that ankle. He bunny hops up like five ramps to go to the locker room, which that was insane. Uh, I was like, you can't get my guy a wheelchair. Like, can they do something? Can a trainer like give him a shoulder? Like, yeah, exactly. Someone at least like walk him up there, especially like you said, it was like this huge ramp and he just kept going back and forth. And I was and so he was scared he was going to, like... ass up there. It was unreal. Yeah, I, and I thought he was going to, you know, because he was going so quick, he was going to make a wrong hop or something and, and slip and, and fall on that ankle again. I was uh, so nervous. Oh, don't even talk about that. That scares me. Uh, <laughs> but, so he does that, which, as funny as that image is aside, he does that, then he tries to come back in the game clearly in a ton of pain i mean yeah. by the time he was off he had to walk himself off the court it looked like the guy was almost in tears but what mm-hmm. that showed me is that the guy cares about winning so much and wanted to play wanted to help his team so bad that he was willing to put himself through hell to do it yeah. just if he could be a help you know just standing in the corner and drawing attention he'll do that he'll do what it takes to win and when you have those guys that are just, let's win at all costs, I want, that's all I want for my franchise. If I could have 10 guys that are okay at basketball, but are just going to leave it all out on the court every single time, I know I'm going to be in a position to win every single night. Yeah. Just, that kind of mentality is really what it takes to win in this league. That's what we saw from greats like Jordan, Kobe, all these guys, just this endless desire to win and i cannot say how impressed i was with that and that was another moment for me when i when i just said to myself this is going to be a guy that is going to be around for a long time and that is only going to get better because he wants to win so bad that he's going to make himself get better okay uh let me let me uh, present this question to you because I'm very interested, especially because uh, I've talked about this with a couple of other Mavs fans and Mavs writers, but I want to hear more from your perspective, especially having more of an outside perspective. The Mavs have a couple routes that they can go going forward. The first is um, they don't have a lot of cat space this summer. They basically just have their mid-level exception. And they basically have the entire roster coming back. They've got a few, you know, like a Perea's probably going to retire. But besides that, everyone's coming back. So they could. um, And then they have their first round pick, which is pick 18. And then the first pick of the second round, which is pick 31. So they could use those picks and make a trade and try to get better this next season. Because they had this very promising last year. Um, and the thought what would be, let's just try to get good right now. Um, or you have the next year, you have Tim Hardaway Jr. coming off the books, and you'll have max space, and you could go after a Giannis or an Oladipo or a star, but then you, ha- you risk you know, striking out again and then uh, having to get the leftover free agents. So... Nick, what what do you think you would do, or what would you want as a Mavs fan? Would you want them to be aggressive now and to try to lock in good role players, 
or would you think the better route is to uh, play it safe, uh, be patient, and and keep the cap space for that next offseason when you have all these big free agents hitting the market? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely the turtle in this scenario. I say wait it out because I see next season for the Mavs, especially considering how much of a bloodbath the West is going to be. Yeah, the Mavs almost next season should kind of be like a recruiting video for you know college football, college basketball teams. They make these huge recruiting videos about you come here. This is what we can be, and. I don't want to spend a bunch of money now on guys that aren't going to be huge impact guys or that we're unsure about, especially this offseason where the free agency pool isn't very deep. And there's a history of when there aren't a lot of big free agents out there and the market's small, bad decisions get made because someone's got to get paid. Yeah. And someone will get paid. Someone will get overpaid. You don't get killed for overpaying good players. You get killed when you sign bad players to way more than they should get. You know, Absolutely. that's what kills franchises. And that was probably just very redundant, but and when I looked at 2021, yes, like if Luca KP keep having this trajectory, these star players are going to look at Dallas and be like I'm the piece that if I go there, we can absolutely be a contender. Not only a contender. I mean, if Giannis goes to Dallas, I think they're the favorites automatically. Yeah. Like, a Giannis-Luka pick-and-roll with Christoph Porzingis in the corner should give every coach in the NBA nightmares. It's, like, I don't know it's, what the hell you do against that. It's terrifying. And then, when you think about it from the perspective of... Um, from Giannis's standpoint, Dallas has the roster makeup to run basically exactly what the Bucks run, you know. So you could you could still have Giannis running the point and have Lucas space out, and you could just kind of flip flop, and Porzingis just becomes super Brook Lopez at that point. Um, so it's a re- it's a really terrifying idea, uh, but uh, it'll it'll be interesting to watch and and. With the Dallas, uh, I think they're in a good enough spot with Luka and Porzingis where, you know, it's not Giannis or Butts. There's going to be a lot of guys. Uh, uh, I mentioned Oladipo earlier would be huge. Um, a Drew Holiday would make a big um, a big impact on this team. Um, so they've got a lot of different routes that, that they can go, and, and I think the, the future is looking pretty bright. Uh, before we move on here, Nick, i, I got to ask you, because I, I asked this in my last pod to, uh, to my cousin John, uh, again, I want to hear a more unbiased opinion here. You're starting a team going forward. Uh, you can choose one player. Who do you take between Luca or Giannis? I take Luca because with Giannis, we've been waiting for Giannis to get this jump shot for a while, and that's kind of his last piece. And there is some recency bias for me right now because as we're recording this, you know, Miami's 3-1 on the Bucks uh, in the second round. And we kind of see where Giannis's flaws can really hurt you in the playoffs. I think Luka just has so much in his bag that mm-hmm. 
it makes it so much harder for defenses to stop him. And while Giannis is so dominant athletic, athletically, and, like, don't get me wrong, I love Giannis to death. I mean, the guy used to follow me on Twitter, which is a story for another time. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Yeah, I followed him his rookie season when he wasn't playing at all. He did one of those retweets for a follow. Yeah. So retweeted it. He followed me back. And then that Twitter account got hacked, started tweeting oh. out some very vulgar pictures, so I had to delete the account. Yeah. Yikes. I'm always curious if Giannis saw that on his Twitter feed and was like, what the hell is <laughs> this kid? Hit, hit the unfollow, uh, yeah. Uh, but so Giannis is so dominant physically and athletically, but I do think right now there is a game plan against him. Yeah. And I'm not sure there's a game plan against Luka because we saw this with the Clips and that the Clips were the perfect team. You know, they were the worst matchup the Mavs could have. And Lucas still was going at them, was putting 40 on him. Yeah. Because he has so much skills, and his passing ability is just out of this world. And he makes guys that he's playing with so much better. And that's just another quality that we see from these great, great players. Is that not only are they great individually, but they make everybody else on the floor better. So that's yeah. why I go with Luka. Uh, well, so. I, I'd, uh, I'd definitely agree with you. Um, and, uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Cause I personally, I think they're going to be the two faces of the league here in the next, um, two or three years. Once LeBron starts transitioning out and, and Kawhi and those guys get older. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to the, uh, let's see the OKC thunder or next or the jazz. Now I'm, now I'm, Confusing the which Jazz one is the four were the six seed, so yeah. we can start with them. Which to start off, that's one of the best series I've ever seen in my life, and probably Amazing. ever will. Amazing. So just <laughs> bravo, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, everyone involved. Just thank you. With Utah, you know, we look at their cause of death. They're, you know. Bogdan Bogdanovich not being able to play is obviously a massive deal and really, really hurt them. Yeah. And also, really it came down to the fact that for the Jazz to win, Donovan Mitchell had to be what he was in this series. He had to be this absolutely on-fire scorer. Like, some of those games, it just was unreal the kind of shots he was making because just he wasn't getting the help that he really needed. I mean, their bench, you know, I'm looking at guys like Moutier or Georges Niang, who gets 20 minutes in a Game 7. Like, it's... These guys are not giving you what you really need to win in these scenarios, especially against a team that was so deep like Denver. Yeah. Uh, But if I'm looking to the Jazz's future, I mean, it's obvious. It... It centers around Donovan Mitchell. So, and with that, I want to ask you what you think of the potential signing of Rudy Gobert to a Supermax. Oh, that's going to be an extremely tough call for Utah, I think. Um, The first thing we have to know is uh, 
where are Mitchell and Gobert at relationship-wise at this point? Obviously, there's a whole shutdown, and and uh, you know Mitchell Gobert was being patient zero. Yeah, exactly. For and, coronavirus and Mitchell, in America. Mitchell and, uh, from my understanding, some of the other Jazz teammates were very upset with the way Gobert handled that whole situation. Um, and Mitchell obviously got it, uh, presumably, from Gobert. But, you know, we don't know. Um, Gobert technically, technically could have gotten it from Mitchell. Just Gobert tested positive first. Uh, but he is a huge part of their team. Um, and I think... A lot of jazz fans would be quick to point out that the they believe um, I haven't done as much research into this, but they believe that the Gobert um, being unplayable in the playoffs thing is is more of a, a myth, um, and that he hasn't struggled as much in the past as people have um, kind of painted it out to be. Um, I don't know if the Jazz's front office thinks that because that's going to be another big question you have to answer when giving someone like Gobert. A max or even a super max like you present it um now there are definitely risks especially with giving a super max to a center but then you also have to take into consideration is it are the alternatives worth it um conley will have a player option that year oh no oh no it's a team early termination option so Utah will be will have an option where they could get rid of Conley and Gobert and have a ton of money and go after someone else. Um, but then you're rolling the dice trying to bring someone to Utah. Um, it's tough, Nick. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess we'll have to see how this next season plays out. I think as of right now, I'd lean towards not offering him the Supermax. Um, I just think it's a lot to commit to a center. Um, especially one that you're not sure if he meshes well with Mitchell, who is, to me, is your number one guy moving forward. Uh, What do you think? One thing I do want to clear up, just for everybody, uh, the early termination, that gives the player the option to terminate the contract early. So how how does that differ from a player option? Uh... I guess. Hmm. I don't know. I got. I guess they I would, gotta, they would I've, I've broken Conley, out the. Uh... Conley would be able to terminate the contract and sign for an additional five years instead of signing an extension for four. Oh, if, okay. If he that makes sense for that. So say the salary cap had gone up and Conley thought he was going to make more money, which he's not. He's yeah going to make thirty-four million dollars <laughs> next year. And he was already overpaid last year. And yeah. I'm saying this as a Grizzlies fan. I love Mike Conley more than anything, but he just was never what the Jazz needed him to be this year. Yeah. But so that would be the idea of the early termination. So, I mean, they have Conley next year. Uh, but when I look at the Supermax with Gobert, one thing. The Supermax was intended to keep star players where they were drafted. was supposed to help some of these franchises. I really think it's been more of a hurt than an aid to a lot of these franchises. You look at teams like Washington, you know, sign John Wall to these kind of contracts, and they just become albatrosses. 
you know, contracts that are almost impossible to move and it gives you no space to sign anybody else to put around these guys, you know, and knowing that, you know, you got Donovan Mitchell, who you got signed to an extension this summer, that's going, that has to be a max deal. Yeah. That you're settling into this roster and hoping that you can get somebody else to join Mitchell and go bear uh, after Conley's gone. And that just worries me to dedicate that much money. Now, obviously, if Mitchell doesn't like Gobert, you just let you you let Gobert go. You trade him. You get whatever yeah. you can get. Just because Donovan Mitchell's your franchise, you make him happy. You can't have a him forcing his way out in a trade or anything like that. But I also think with Gobert, and I want to see your thoughts on this, is the center position for a lot of teams has kind of become the most like replaceable position. You see, especially the Lakers with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, they're just subbing in these minimum salary, low salary guys into the center spot just to rim run, defend. Now, they won't do this on the same level that Gobert does, but you're hoping that you can find a guy in free agency or in the draft that can just do this. You know, that can be a wall at the rim or, you know, finish lobs and defend. So what do you think of that? Yeah, definitely. And, and that's where a lot of my pause comes. Um, it's like, uh, my cousin John says, you know, like centers are running backs. I mean, that's just what they are. Like, should you give Ezekiel Elliott a max contract? It's tough to say. It's like he's a really important team. He helps the offense go. It's like a go-bearer. Um, it feels like, like you said, you can find two guys – that maybe aren't going to give you the production that a Gobert is going to give you, but they can do the things that you need them to do to win for a much cheaper cost. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do think that centers are still important. I do think that if I'm the Jazz and it was a regular max, I would give it to Gobert probably without hesitation. Um, But when you talk about these super maxes, and like you said – the, the other thing that goes into these Supermax equations that really hurts these small market teams is it's a built-in way for these teams to disrespect the player. Um, mm-hmm. Because they may be willing to offer a max, but not a Supermax for the reasons that you laid out. Um, and a player may be more than happy with a max from another team because that's all they can get. But even if their team is offering them somewhere in between, you know, or maybe they can't, I guess they can't do that, but they might feel insulted that their team would offer them the max and not the super max. And they'd be willing to take the same amount of money for another team um, just to kind of stick it to the team that drafted them. I, I truly think the fix there, and this is something other people have brought up before. I didn't come up with this. I think you have to go on the next CBA to something that's like a super max, but only a percentage of the super max counts towards your cap. Like you have to oh, still I pay that. Yeah, you have I to still that. pay the guy, but it, it counts on your cap as like a normal max. Um, so they're still getting their money, but they're just getting – it's like a bonus basically. Um, because like you said, it's just tough. I mean, you look at – Kemba Walker was a perfect situation where the Hornets, here's this guy, you're only a good player, he qualifies, um, but he wasn't a superstar, he was older, he was a small point guard, and the Hornets – 
even though he was the only good player they'd had in a decade, just couldn't commit to that kind of money. And I think it was the right call because um, you're probably not going anywhere. Um, so that's going to be a very tough decision for the Jazz to make. Uh, I know, especially for Jazz fans, I feel for them. Um, a lot of them probably love Gobert and they're going to want to have him back. But if it were me, uh, I would probably pass on the Supermax. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's tough because Utah going into the season was one of these teams that everyone thought was going to be a title contender, but they really fell short of that. Yeah. So that really makes you ask some questions that, is this the roster that we want to keep going? Are we okay being a middle seed in the West? Or do we need to do something drastic to really up our chances at a title? Now, with that being said, I want to move to a team that basically was in a reverse role this season in OKC, our five seed who lost to the Houston Rockets, because they went into this season. Everyone thought, oh, they're trading CP3 immediately. They're going to be awful. They're not making the playoffs and became one of the most consistent teams in the league, you know, especially in clutch situations. They completely outshone their expectations and guys like SGA, Chris Paul just blew the doors off and bringing, you know, two of the biggest stars in this league, two MVPs to a game seven really shows a lot about the culture they have at OKC and especially Chris Paul. Cause I saw a an article that was talking about how this wasn't a restart or a new beginning for Chris Paul. It was more of a resurgence because seeing how he played this year, how great he was, how he unlocked that OKC team really showed how the Houston style of play never really fit Chris Paul, how playing, you know, alongside James Harden really wasn't the best way to reach his potential. And at the end of the day, CB3 is one of these guys that just makes the guys around him better because of his basketball IQ, his passing ability, and the fact that he's just a, you know, he's a vet that knows how to win. Even though he's never gotten to that championship, he's been there before, he's been in these tough situations. And, I mean, there was no one better to teach a lot of these young guys. So, what are your thoughts on OKC, just to start out? Uh, I think, one, the, the season they had was incredible. Um, hats off to Chris Paul. Uh, dude's amazing. He just keeps going. Uh, everything you said, I completely agree with. Uh, other than that, very, very interesting spot this team is in. Um, they're kind of in the same spot they were going into last year when everyone th- assumed that they were going to blow it up going into or early into the season and they just kind of held the pieces together because they played so well um mm-hmm. but still it's hard to see this version of this team getting over the hump um and you have to ask yourself is this the year do we do we capitalize in chris paul's year and see if we can move that huge contract do we um gallinari is a free agent uh, huge piece for them, you know. Probably their third best player, uh, maybe their second best player. Do you resign him? Do you bring him back? Um, so that's going to be very, very interesting uh, decisions that they're going to make there. Uh, so 
I have no idea what to what to think of the Thunder next year because I, I don't know that this is going to be their final look. I could see Chris Paul gone and Gallinari gone. I could see them both back and them adding someone, trying to become more competitive. Um, I, they could. They have all these draft picks. Everyone assumes they're going to use them. Uh, maybe they go the opposite approach. Maybe they start taking some of those a million draft picks and um, kind of improving around the margins. Um, and maybe adding another star to help with Paul and, and Alexander. Uh, so they're going to be a really interesting spot. Um, and obviously a lot of their future is going to be tied to Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is terrific um, and is right in that class with uh, Donovan Mitchell, who we were just talking about, and a John Morant and, and, and guys like that. So um, – it, sh- it should be you really very. Think he's that he's that level because I've kind of seen him as kind of a jack of all trades but master of none. He you he know, is. Uh, th- he is. Look, I would have Jaw and Mitchell above Shea right now. Um, I would have Jaw. I'd have it in that order probably. Jaw, Mitchell, Shea. Um, but like you said, I, I think his biggest thing drawing him back is he doesn't seem like he's elite at a lot of things which i do think kind of hurts him but sometimes i can help um especially with how productive he is already where um like you said he kind of is a jack of all trades and he kind of does a little bit of everything so if he can become great at a few more things he could really make that jump kind of like um not that he's the same player because he's smaller more of a guard but like a paul george did where after a few years just kind of exploded um so that'll be a guy that's interesting to watch. Um, but, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? What do you think they should do going forward? Um, or do you think there isn't really a right answer? It's just kind of capitalizing on what opportunities pop up. Yeah, I think they already have all these picks. But one thing I worry about when you have these stockpile of picks is that you don't really capitalize on it. We saw mm-hmm. this with the Celtics recently. Uh, in that they had the Sacramento Kings pick and they had the Grizzlies pick that was this year. They held on to these picks for a long time, thinking that they were going to be these great assets. Yeah. But then the years both of those picks convey, it's like 13th and 14th pick in the draft. Yeah. So really not as valuable pieces because they kind of held on to them for too long. Now... What I think you can do when you have this huge stockpile of picks, especially if you do already have a great player, young player like SGA, is you combine all those picks, send them to another team for another great player. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking Sam Presti's looking to. Even though he has such a great track record in the draft, I mean, he drafted, you know, three MVPs from the last decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get Shea where they got him. You know, what was that, 12 or 13 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Or I guess they didn't draft Shea. What am I saying? They traded for Shea. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and then you also have, you know, you'll, next year you'll have Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder on expiring contracts, which yeah. makes more trades interesting because those are guys, Steven Adams will make 27 mil next year, Dennis Schroeder 15. If I'm a contender, I would like both of those guys, especially Schroeder. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of contracts that can make money work so that OKC can maybe get, you know, 
some pieces back or even more picks so that they can stockpile and eventually cash in on i don't know who that guy is maybe it's you know if cat someday wants out of minnesota i'm not sure he would want to go to okc but that's the idea is that you if you have all these picks and someone wants out then you can send all those picks that you've accumulated because they i mean they have an obnoxious number of picks like and there's only so many spots on a roster you can fill um and they're they're not a team i ever considered as a player in that big uh free agency and a couple off seasons but um like you said with adams and schroeder expiring uh you trade them or even if you just let them expire like the only contracts that they'll have on the books will be chris paul's last year which is very high at 44 million uh but then shea gilgis is your next highest paid player at, at five um so if chris paul has another great season next year that they, they could be a player where you have all these picks you could trade for a star you could they would have it looks like two max slots um so you could sign two guys and make a trade you could you could do a lot of things um so they could be very um, a very dangerous player in that summer, kind of like the Mavs um, are, are set up to be um, when we were talking about earlier. And Chris Paul, especially, I think Chris Paul's stock, you know, is as high as it possibly could be right now. Absolutely. Because of the fact yeah. that he carried this team and really taught this team. You know, he shows that you can insert this guy and he's just going, he can be that presence in the locker room at the very least and teach these guys how to win. So, with only two years remaining on his contracts, now he is going to make 41 mil in 2021, 44 mil in 21-22. That's a big number. That's hard to swallow. But with only two years remaining, it's a little bit easier to now trade that contract you're not committing to as much money as you would have two years ago. Yeah. So, I would... One scenario I've kind of bounced around in my head is... Assuming Milwaukee doesn't come back from 3-1 and Milwaukee is desperate to get Giannis to stay, would you trade for Chris Paul, send a bunch of picks and young guys, maybe like DiVincenzo, Connaughton, those kind of players, to OKC to get Chris Paul, hoping that Chris Paul is what can... that you're not making a big three with Chris Paul, Chris Milton, Giannis? Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because when I was looking for teams last year that might trade for Chris Paul, uh, the Bucks were always one that came up for me. Um, I think it's tough. They're in a tough spot where I think because Chris Paul's contract is so high, you almost have to include Middleton, I think, um, unless you want to give up several kind of important players um so that's kind of tough or you know if you can if you feel comfortable giving up like Bledsoe Hill Lopez um that might be enough uh to get it done and I I think Chris Paul and and Giannis would be a really interesting uh pair I think it'd be fun to watch um it might be smart for the Bucks to kind of shake it up and make a move at least show to Giannis that you're being aggressive especially after letting um, Malcolm Brogdon walk in the interest of money last summer. Um, so I think it would be fascinating. And 
it's a big enough contract where even as well as um, Chris Paul played last year, I, I think the Thunder would pretty much accept um, kind of whatever. Except, honestly, maybe not at Chris Middleton. Maybe they don't. That's going the opposite direction for them. Uh, maybe they just want to get worse um, or get young guys. Um, but I think it would be awesome. And just the, the potential of it would help Giannis a lot to have that Chris Paul is such a good closer to have that guy at the end of playoff games to give the ball to um, when Giannis doesn't have it going and just say, you know, you can take it over. Um, I, I think that he's really missing that, and Chris Middleton is is just not good enough to get it done. Um, he's a very good player, but uh, if Giannis had that other guy next to him, like a Chris Paul, that he felt comfortable to just kind of give the reins to – um, in tight games to create his own shot, that would be huge for them. And Chris Paul would be a great fit to do that. For sure. And I think at the end of the day, this is the hardest team to pin down for me. Because Sam Presti, I still believe, is one of the better GMs in the league. Mm-hmm. And he always seems like a guy that has a card up his sleeve, that he's willing to do something crazy. So... You know, they could keep on this, let's stay competitive route, or they could completely trade everybody, go to tanking route, develop young. And honestly, they're one of the only teams that if they went either way, I would be on their side. Yeah, I'd agree with that. This is the right way to go. Like, they're in a great spot, you know, and I think we can only... uh, you can only smile looking forward at their future and hopefully we see an OKC contender very soon. So with that, we are going to lay to rest the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Utah Jazz, our Dallas Mavericks, and the Portland Trailblazers. Great season. Can't wait for the reincarnation, I guess. that This is not supposed to be a religious podcast, but I guess that's the way we're going. <laughs> Luca was a grizzly bear this year. He's going to be reincarnated into a dragon or something. He's going to be <laughs> an even an even new scarier beast next season, and I'm pumped. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's great to it's great to look at a lot of these teams, and I think one thing you see with a lot of these teams that are contending, or at least in the playoffs in the West right now is that they do have a solid direction. And that's what Mm -hmm. you're always looking for in a franchise is, do these guys have any idea what the hell they're doing? Because, I mean, I look at some teams in the East, especially cough, cough, Knicks. uh, (laughs) And it's like, where, where are we going? What are we trying to do? But these teams all had great seasons, and I can only you know guess at what they'll do moving forward you know it's all speculation but we're going to enjoy whatever comes next yeah so absolutely man um and i i I just wanted to uh point out i think it's really interesting and i think it it comes clear going through uh this kind of funeral pod to me the league seems like it's in this transitional phase um where with with the clippers breaking or with the warriors i mean breaking up there's a lot of teams 
um, that are very good right now, uh, like Clippers, Lakers, um, that are kind of a little older. You know, they'll be around, but uh, and and you could throw the Warriors in there too that are kind of phasing out. And then you have a lot of teams like a Thunder, a Mavs, a Portland, um, even teams we didn't talk about, Memphis, Phoenix, uh, that are kind of on the rise. And I think we're going to hit this, I don't know if it's next season or two seasons or three seasons, this kind of tipping point where you're going to have this this old guard versus the new. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see which teams can find a way to emerge out of that and um, kind of be the faces of the next era of basketball. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And especially as a Grizzlies fan, you know, with Ja, and then with you, with Luca. Yeah. This next generation of players just so much talent that and spread out across so many teams mm-hmm. that makes every game very interesting you know every game's going to be competitive every game is going to be a fight and yeah. that's only going to develop these players further because there aren't many teams in the league that are just duds now you know there's a lot of talent spread out everywhere and a lot of talent developing so well, Sean, thank you for talking to me today. It's always a, always a joy. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, I got to throw a Go Stars in there. Looking to get up too well. <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, this is the BTC Podcast presented by Ball Things Considered. Thank you to everyone over at Ball Things Considered. Please check out our website, ballthings.com, and all of our other podcasts, including Drawing It Up including myself and the Half Court Trap. And I know Sean will be putting some podcasts of his own out in the future. Sean, do you want to put a plug in for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I just recorded one with my cousin John Michael. I'm going to have um, posted here in a second, um, hopefully up today. Uh, but, yeah, uh, my podcast is called Bush League, so definitely check it out. I'll, uh, I'll try to put together some, some interesting guests and topics for you guys. Yep. And you can find these podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. And at the end of the day, thank you to everyone listening. We know you have a lot of things to do with your day, and we're happy that you listen to us talk about basketball for a while. So thank you. And you'll thank have you. A good one. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. I'm out.